Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Who is President Trump? Who would you analogize him to in terms of uh, fictional character? Many people, myself included, uh, compare President Obama to Chauncey Gardner and being there. Uh, our friend Victor Davis Hansen has a fun piece in NationalReview.com. How did Shane end up? Question mark. He's uh, referencing the classic George Stevens Western of Shane, the uh, gunfighter, and uh, comparing Trump to Shane. How is Trump Shane? Well, why don't we get the author to explain? Please to be joined again by Victor Davis Hansen, National Review columnist, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, and the author of the his latest book, The Second World Wars, How the First Global Conflict Was Fought and Won. VDH, thanks for joining us. How is Trump Shane? Well, he he's poses a solution to people who had a problem that could not be addressed by orthodox means. And he came in and he had sort of a scary past. And then he solved, at least so far in the first 18 months, he's doing pretty well. And people because they're, he's doing pretty well, are starting to get a little edgy about the means by which he does so. And remember in Shane, uh, we think he's kind of a nice, mellow guy, but there's a little hint here and there that he has sort of a violent past, and then at the end he just <laughs> blows away three people and everybody's said, like, and there's nobody out there to <laughs> greet him you know, goodbye. It's little Joey alone who likes him, and I don't think they build a monument, as I said, for him. Uh-huh. <laughs> Back uh, in Jackson Hole. Uh, I like it. I, I, there's a little bit of Walt Kowalski from Gran Torino, too, a little bit of get-off-my-lawn uh, in yeah, Trump uh, as well that um, has sort of a, has sort of appeal. And, uh, and, again, we've talked to you a lot about the immigration issue because you're sort of front and center uh, with it in your everyday life with your farm in California. And I wonder uh, how you think he's handling this uh, caravan at the border matter. I think he's doing as well as he can, given I don't think the Congress is going to build a wall the way, at least as he planned. And he's got to be a little careful because the judges, especially here in the Northern Circuit in California, are not going to approve anything he does by executive order anyway. And so he's got to try to deter them any way he can. I think that and the weather are, are making it not such a great idea for them to come into the United States illegally in mass, but we'll see. I think if it had been any other president, both Republican and Democrat, they would probably have let him in and said, you know what, we'll adjudicate you your asylum claims, and then 80% of them would have disappeared, as right. has happened in the past. Well, do you think President Obama would have let them in? I mean, during his administration, they used tear gas 52 times, but nobody seems to be they talking did, about that. you got to remember that there were two Obamas. There were the pre-election Obama pre-re-election Obama, where he gave it 21 times, he said he could not give amnesty of any sort because he wasn't a king. I think you remember that. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then after he got elected and uh, re-elected, excuse me, yeah. then um, by 2014 and 15, the entire border was changed and we had 500 sanctuary cities. We didn't have 500 sanctuary cities when he came into office. And uh, he was once, you know, Many started saying, right, right during the re-election, we got to punish our enemies at the polls. If you're walking along the street having ice cream, they're going to pick you up. And that 
that was sort of the same trajectory on gay marriage and other issues that he ran as a as a moderate centrist, if there is such a thing, Democrat. And then when he got into office, especially after he got reelected, he gave us what we are, what we have now. Uh, we're still doing postmortem on the midterms, and uh, we've got a little bit of a, a comparison, uh, our respective home states here, uh, us here with DuPage County, suburban Chicago, the second most populous county in Illinois, historically a Republican county, although that's been changing uh, not so slowly uh, over the last 15 years. And then but it's we completely changed and, now. And Republican congressmen got swept out of the Collar counties this cycle. And, of course, what happened in Orange County with Repo- longtime Republican congressmen, including Dana Rohrbacher, swept out of office. And I wonder what your assessment is of the possibility of uh, ever recovering Orange County, much less California. Well, it's the same. I just add it's exactly the same thing where I am in southwestern Fresno County. We had a very fine... David Valdeo, three-term, would have been three-term Republican congressman, and he won the election by on election day by eight points. And now here we are, still counting, and it looks like yesterday he lost that seat. So that's going to go to a Democratic interloper who outspent him three to one. I think the answer is politically and strategically, um, they're two different questions. Politically. The Republicans really have to address the absentee ballot and the after-voting day uh, vote, if I could use that term, because they're getting killed here in California, that the motor voter uh, votes come in. Most of them are first-time registered voters, and they're outvoting Republicans five to one. And I'm not suggesting they're illegal aliens, but the Republicans either have to match that or they have to question that because it really warps the election process when these candidates win, and then over a two-week period, they all lose. And I mean all of them that were close. And then uh, politically, all, politically they uh, excuse me, politically they all have to look at the money. I mean, they were outraised. New, Devin Nunes' district is next to mine. He, they spent $12 million against wow. him. And he only he had a record three and a half, four million, but he barely squeaked by. He won by 12 points on election day, and he's down to three or four points ahead. So they, they haven't they haven't they're being outraised. That's not just Bloomberg money and Spire money. It's also crowdfund and that kind of stuff. And then strategically, he's got to get up the minority vote five to ten points, and he should get it because wages are rising, and for the first time, African American Latino kids that are entering the workforce and even mid level people have leverage over employers. He's really got to stress that. So a risky thing to do, but he could appeal to them on class rather than just identity politics terms. And then finally, and this is what we're all talking about, he needs 4 or 5% more of that centrist Republican vote. And he needs that. He's not losing that on the agenda. I don't think he's losing that vote because people want an open border or they they want us to stay in the Paris Accord or they don't like the economic growth. It's this gratuitous... Uh, horse face or things like that that right. he says, and h- half of it is 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 retaliatory and necessary to get him off his back, and the other half is gratuitous. And uh, I don't know if he can change that. I mean, when I say horse face, we almost start laughing, but other people laugh and then don't vote for him. And I mean, that's 
four or five percent of the electorate, I think, that otherwise would have voted for him. President Trump on his way right now to Argentina for the G20 summit. Do you uh, think that considering what's going on with Crimea, excuse me, uh, Ukraine and Russia, that President Trump should not have a sit down meeting with Putin? Putin, excuse me. Well, he always has confidence in his powers of persuasion and art of the deal. I don't know whether it's good to have to confront him and sit down with him or just to not meet him at all. But he's going to have to remind people that he was tougher on Putin in terms of arming the Ukrainians and flooding the world with oil that helped crash the price a little bit. And uh, he's going to have to do something. He got killed on the optics on the last on the last uh, summit that he had with Putin on that on that dice when they were both talking to each other and he got into crazy ideas about letting Putin you know investigate former American diplomats that was crazy right so uh, <laughs> he, he's going to have to do something it's going to have to be tougher than Obama and it, he has been tougher than Obama but for some reason because of this Mueller investigation people don't understand that I wanted to uh, get your sense of. Uh what you think the landscape is going to be for Second Amendment rights uh, with uh, Pelosi in the House and some pickups of Democrat good governors, uh, pickups by Democrats of governorships and state legislatures, Republicans still majority in the country, but state to state, uh, very different. You've got uh, one of your illustrious congressmen there in California, Eric Swalwell, who is arguing yeah. for a forced buyback of weapons he deems to be too dangerous to own. Um, and uh, willingness to go to war with law-abiding, otherwise law-abiding people to get their guns. In the New York State Senate, you've got a bill from a senator there that suggests that gun licenses would not be uh, issued to anybody who doesn't comport with uh, a particular speech code. Anybody who's used slurs or what the state determines to be biased language would be prohibited from obtaining a gun license in New York State, according to this legislation. And this sort of uh, flies off of some of these red flag laws that are a bit controversial as well. And and even with uh, Republican control of the Senate and the president in the White House, President Trump in the White House, where you think gun rights are going in this country? Well, I don't think they're going to change at all because the president and the Senate are going to stop that craziness. But it's sort of like the open borders or Medicare for everybody or abolishing ICE. The Democratic Party is being towed by Ocasio-Cortez and that minority of really radical progressives. And when you introduce things into the, the House, then people are going to, you know, the fact that it was even introduced, many people are going to say, oh, it's going to become a law. And that's going to hurt them a, a, a great deal because if you look at the polls on the Second Amendment, the only the only area where it's 50-50 is um, – when people say, oh, it's an automatic rifle, and there is no such thing available to the public, but when they start using that term as a military rifle, and, you, and then they say you need a greater waiting period, there's not even a support to ban semi-automatic rifles. So when you start talking about confiscating guns, confiscating, then all you do is you prove that all these gun owners who'd always warned about that were not crazy at all. They were right. So that's going to be an issue like abolishing ICE and the other ones I mentioned that I think it's going to really boomerang on. He is Victor Davis Hanson, National Review columnist, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and author of the latest, his latest book is The Second World Wars, How the First Global Conflict Was Fought and Won. VDH, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.